0: In 2016, we lost one of the world's most notable figures. Just three years ago, a man who was renowned the world over for his charisma and charm, for his sense of adventure, uh, was taken from us. And yeah, his small talk set foreign policy. He once ran a marathon just because it was on the way. Uh, His blood smelled like cologne. His beard uh, experienced more than most men do in a lifetime. Sharks had a week dedicated to him. I'm referring, of course, to the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> sometimes Doseki's spokesperson. I know he affected your life as profoundly as he affected mine. I will never forget, he once said, it's never too late to start beefing up your obituary. It's never too late to start beefing up your obituary. Now, I know it seems silly to look for something wise in something this silly, but that is wise. We want our lives to count for something. We want them to to speak for something. We actually want to accomplish something for meaning and purpose in our lives. So stay thirsty, my friends. Stay thirsty for love and for passion, for growth and for death. Stay thirsty. Squeeze every last drop out of life. Stay thirsty, my friends. Turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, we're being at verse 15. 14, I should say. We are continuing slash concluding our series called Resistance. And Jesus is going to say something very similar uh, this morning. Our final sermon in this series of on the seven letters to the seven churches in Revelation. Revelation 3, at verse 14. And to the angel at the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the origin of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. You do not realize that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Therefore I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white robes to clothe you and to keep the shame of your nakedness from being seen, salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. I reprove and discipline those whom I love, Be earnest, therefore, and repent. Listen. I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to you and eat with you and you with me. To the one who conquers, I will give a place with me on my throne, just as I myself conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who isn't here listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I pray that your Spirit would blow these words off the page and into our hearts the way you blew them onto the page in the first place. I pray, O Lord, that you would speak to me loud and clear and that we would hear your voice. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus is thirsty for something. Thirsty for something that he is not finding in this community. He's not finding in the lives of these people. And if we start to realize what it is, we're going to thirst for it in our own lives as well. That's the beautiful thing about this book, and actually about one of the things we believe as Christians, that this isn't just some book written to some people a long time ago. But if you've got an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church, this is a word for you today. And so we need to pay attention because there is a real issue in Laodicea, a real problem with this church, and they can't see it. In fact, if you were looking at them, you probably wouldn't be able to see it. And if you were talking to them, they would tell you, really, I'm, not, I'm not sure that I, that I know what it is. Jesus quotes them in verse 17. He says, I'm doing great. I feel, I feel really good. I, I'm wealthy. I've prospered. I don't really need anything. I'm not really struggling with anything. Life's good. I've got no complaints. I'm fine. That's the problem. One of the things we haven't made really clear as we've been going through this series, um, all of these letters are being read by all of the other churches. So There's seven letters to seven churches, but everybody's reading everybody else's mail. That's intentional. It's like when you CC somebody in like an email thread. You're expecting them to read it, and you're expecting to read everything that they write. And so the Laodiceans, they come last, and they get to read everybody else's letters first. All the letters that we've read. So the letter to the Ephesians. I know how hard you're working for the gospel. I know your toil, your patient endurance. I know that you can't stand evildoers. And the Laodiceans are sitting there thinking, I don't know if toil is really the right word to describe my Christianity. I'm, I'm working not hard, but I'm working for the gospel a little. I'm working hard for other things. The gospel's on my list somewhere of things that I'm doing. I don't know that I really hate evildoers. I don't like them. Like, I'm not like looking for, like, they're not that big a deal in my life. What are these people doing wrong? And in the church at Smyrna, right, I know that you're poor, but you're rich in Christ. I know how much you've given up for the gospel. I know you're going to lose even more. Cling to Jesus Christ, and you'll find that his mercies are new every morning. Yeah, we're like literally wealthy, though. We don't need to be metaphorically wealthy. Um, like, that's nice for them, but like money's also nice. And uh, I don't know that I've really given up a lot for the gospel. I don't know that I really... Need to Are all the letters going to be like this? The church at Pergamum, right? These people, you have made it through persecution. People have been killed, friends of yours, and still you are holding tightly to the name of Jesus Christ. I know how much you're loving the theology that you're talking about. I know how passionate you are. Just be careful. Don't wander down some rabbit trail. Don't get stuck in heresy and nonsense. Yeah, I'm really not that interested in theology. I can't imagine us getting into heresy, because I think we'd all get bored long before we got there. (laughs) I really don't like going to church that much in the first place. And, um, yeah, persecution, that's uh, that's not really a problem for me. That sucks for you, though. That sounds like a bad situation. Letter after letter after letter, and the Laodiceans are wondering, why are we on this list? Like, what? Why are we even getting a letter? And this is exactly the moment where Jesus hits him right between the eyes and says, You don't need anything. Nothing good, nothing particularly bad is happening in your life. You're fine. And for you, fine is good enough. But fine's not good enough. Do you really want a life? Do you really want a life like that, where there's no passion, where you're just bland and tasteless and mediocre? Is that you've accepted that reality? Like that's you're okay with that? You don't need anything. Have you not noticed that I'm not inside this church? Right At the end of this passage of Scripture, Jesus is outside knocking. We all went to church today, and one guy didn't show up. It was Jesus, but nobody noticed. Somebody was out there knocking, but the door was locked. Nobody really noticed. We didn't really need Him for church to be accomplished. We were doing just fine without Him. We don't need Him in our lives. Don't you think that's a problem? Doesn't that sound like an issue for the church at Laodicea? They don't need anything, and that's the problem. Uh, until we really understand our need for Jesus Christ, we're never going to understand the gospel. This is just a fundamental truth of Christianity. Until we understand how much we need Jesus, we will never really understand how important Jesus is for our lives. That's one of the reasons we need need. We, we lack when we lack. Need is a, a good thing sometimes. And when you start to realize just how desperate we are for grace start to realize just how much humanity needs a Savior. When you look at yourself in the mirror and you go, Oh man, God has so much work to do in my life. The more you start to understand the gospel, the more you realize how hopeless humanity is without Jesus Christ. The more you really start to feel your need for Jesus Christ, the more you realize how great the gospel is. How amazing the grace of God is. How deep, how wide, how vast is the love of God in Jesus Christ. The more we begin to understand our need for Jesus, the more we begin to understand the power of the gospel. But if you don't particularly need Him, then the gospel is just this sort of ancillary thing, just this thing sort of on the side of our lives—not the most important thing to us, not the most defining thing about us. It, it matters, but it's just sort of nice, like it's comforting every now and again when I need someone to pray to. But it's not this thing that completely changes me from the inside out. Not this thing that I find my knees before the—I find myself on my knees before God. Because of, we need need if we want to understand the gospel. We need need if we want the gospel to change our lives. If you don't need the gospel, then you can get along just fine without it. This church at Laodicea, they're doing just fine without it. Not particularly hot, not particularly cold, but lukewarm. Comfortable. And this, I think, can hit close to home for us when we start listening to what's happening in the world of the church around us. When we, like Laodicea, start reading other people's mail. Uh, In the Philippines, three days ago, pastors started to be, uh, they were being rounded up and charged with treason and sedition. Uh, Volunteers in local churches accused of treason and sedition. This is three days ago. Because they're praying that God would do great things in their country. There's not really anything more than that. They've been talking about how there's injustice in their country and how they need God to reform their country. And they've been talking about the leadership of their country and how they, just, they long for another kingdom. How they need Jesus in their lives. And they want to overthrow the government in the minds of the government. So they're being thrown into prison. There are people in Sri Lanka whose church was bombed on Easter Sunday. And if you pay attention to what's going on in the church in Sri Lanka, they will tell you it's hard on the back end of this. We're dealing with trauma on the back end of this. There are questions on the back end of this. But our primary question isn't, how does God let evil things like this happen? It's what is God trying to do in us and through us because of this evil thing that's happened? And what we've seen is like our country got baptized overnight. It's one pastor who said that. That people have been just set on fire for Jesus Christ. It woke them up. And all of a sudden our Muslim friends and neighbors, they're so interested to hear about why we keep going to church. And they're not at all interested in their own faith that, that did this horrible thing to us. A church in Iran, which is still the fastest growing church in the world. Where it is dangerous to be called a Christian and people keep talking about Jesus. People keep converting to Jesus and people keep getting Baptized. The church in Scotland where Caleb Shockley and Summer who are missionary friends, they were here for a couple of weeks if you listen to them, they'll tell you it's hard in Scotland, the church is dealing with hostility and just outright contempt, everybody seems to know what we believe and nobody wants it it's lonely there I can't wait to get back, that's what they kept saying I can't wait to get back, I'm so excited about what God is doing in these places you don't know what you're missing see we look at these places and we say man it would be really hard to live there I'm really glad I'm comfortable here, Like this is nice and all of these people in all of these places look at us and go, man, you guys don't know what you're missing. If only you needed Jesus the way that we need Jesus. If only you were crying out to Jesus the way we're crying out to Jesus. I've been praying with a kind of desperation I've never prayed with before. I read the Bible not because I need to kind of get into the Bible and I feel sort of this obligation, but because I desperately need it just to get through the day. I need Jesus just to get through the day. It's vital to me. I don't understand how you guys don't need Jesus. We are desperate for Jesus we're at. If we don't need Jesus, we're extremely unlikely to live out the gospel. And there's nothing we can really do about our geography. I am lukewarm by nature. I was born lukewarm. I will die lukewarm. It's in the name. My name is Luke, by the way. In case you're not catching the joke. Ah, there it is. There's nothing I can do about that. The church at Laodicea, the city of Laodicea, right? They're stuck between two different cities. There's Hierapolis in the north, which is famous for... Hot springs in the ancient world. Boiling hot water comes out of the ground there, full of minerals. People would travel from all over the world to bathe in the water, to drink the water. It was magical and did amazing things for people. But by the time it flowed downstream to Laodicea, it's lukewarm. Down to the south, they had Colossae with great mountain peaks and glacial-fed streams. Cold, delicious water. But by the time it flowed downhill to Laodicea, it's lukewarm. Nothing they can do about their geography. Nothing we can do about the fact that we live in the United States of America. And there's a kind of lukewarm Christianity that's extremely common where we live. Maybe common in your family. Maybe common for you. Definitely common in my story. Where people go, you know... Christmas and Easter, those are important days. I like the eggs. I love the lights. I want presents. I don't really need to talk too much about the cross and the resurrection and the incarnation and a life-changing kind of a faith. That's not that important. I was looking for positive and encouraging music. That's really the only reason I got into following Jesus. That's the thing I've been looking for in my faith and in my Christianity. That's the most important thing to me. And if it gets any deeper than that, if it gets any bigger than that, I don't know, it just it gets uncomfortable and awkward and a little too religious. Our society loves lukewarm faith. Not just Christianity. Lukewarm from anybody. If you kind of have a faith tradition but it's watered down and you don't talk about it too much, we love that about you. We, we love an Islam that never really talks about Islam. We love a Buddhism that never really gets that Buddhist. We love Christianity so long as nobody ever really talks about Jesus. So long as nobody ever really believes in Jesus and believes that other people need to know about Jesus. And so long as it doesn't really work its way out into public. Because when that happens, then you become an activist, or you become offensive, or you become a fundamentalist, or you're some terrible, dangerous person because you believe in a life-changing kind of faith. Now, I want you to pay attention to something. In our time and in our place, it's pretty easy to kind of fly under the radar and kind of go through the motions and do the lukewarm Christianity thing, to, to be unoffensive, to kind of blend in to our landscape. And that's the kind of faith that looks great on a politician's resume, but it will never change your life. It'll never change your life. Lukewarm faith changes nothing. Lukewarm, Jesus is spitting this out. It makes me want to vomit. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, lukewarm water is not particularly disgusting. It doesn't actually make you sick at your stomach. But it's also not particularly interesting. Hot or cold, I wish you were hot or cold again and again and again, he says. If it changed our lives... If we began to live differently, if we felt our need for Jesus, if we felt that kind of passion for our faith, I think more and more people would want to know more about Jesus. It would be offensive, undoubtedly, that we believed something, that we said something, that we were a church that stood for something. People would have to agree with us or disagree with us. But they would also know that it changes lives. Yes, it's offensive to talk about sin. Yes, it's dangerous to believe in sin. But if you don't believe that there's such a thing as sin, then you can't talk about grace. If you can't talk about the brokenness and flawedness of humanity, then what hope do we have to offer people when we talk about Jesus who fixes the brokenness and flawedness of humanity? See, the church at Laodicea, they've got everything they need, so they don't need Jesus. And there is a booming banking industry in Laodicea at the time. They're the banking capital of this part of Turkey. There's a textile industry that's doing great. They have sheep in town. that They're really good at clothing themselves, let's just say that. And they're really good at selling clothing to other people. There's a med school in town that was famous for this kind of Phrygian eye powder that cured blindness in a couple of people. And Jesus, very ironically, is saying, you've done all these things. You're great at clothing yourself. You can cure blindness. You're so wealthy. If only you realized that you were poor, that you were naked, that you were blind, that you were desperate for something that you cannot supply for yourselves. If only you would ask, you would find that I have all that to give and more. If only you would come to me, I'd give you gold refined by fire. I'd cure your blindness. I'd clothe you in white. See, Jesus isn't saying that it's bad necessarily to be comfortable, but he is saying that there's a kind of comfort that is toxic. A kind of comfort that is toxic to the life that you want to lead. A third reason we need need. Need, staying thirsty, means that we'll always be growing. But comfort is the enemy of that kind of growth. Some weeks ago, uh, my family and I, we were out in Sedona. We were swimming at Red Rock Crossing, which is beautiful, by the way. Just red rocks and big trees and slow, cool mountain pools. And the water is cold. I mean, whoo! <laughs> like sing an octave higher. Ho! Oh, cold! And my son, Matthew, is used to swimming pools. And so this was an adjustment, the idea of getting... And we got into the water, we immediately got out of the water. I need to take a break, did You know, but you don't want to take a break. And if you've ever been swimming in that kind of water, if you've ever gotten into a hot tub or really cold water, if you've ever been cliff jumping, the worst thing you can do is go sit in a warm place under a tree where it's nice and comfortable. You have to keep jumping into the water. You have to stay hot or cold. And it's a very counterintuitive thing to try and explain to a three-year-old, it's a good kind of discomfort. It's a good kind of discomfort. It means that we'll, well, we'll have adventures. It means that we'll take chances. It means that we'll, we'll experience something that we wouldn't experience. Otherwise, you need to constantly be stepping out of your comfort zone. Comfort is toxic to the kind of life that we really want to lead. There's a family friend of ours, a guy named Max Dupree, uh, who wrote a lot of uh, books on leadership that are really good, by the way. Um, but we asked him at one point, what's the hardest question you were ever asked? And he said this, um, the thing that, that was hardest for me to deal with was the interception of entropy. Entropy is a term in physics that has something to do with the second law of thermodynamics and the availability of energy. It speaks to the fact that the universe is winding down. It's the idea that everything that's left to itself has a tendency to deteriorate. Entropy. It's not only one of the great enemies of the universe, it's one of the great enemies of the human spirit. A person becomes apathetic or complacent Your settles for the path of least resistance in some area of life. Dreams die. Hopes fade. A terrible thing happens. A person learns that they can live with mediocrity. Can you live with mediocrity? Have you been living with mediocrity lately? Have you been settling for something that isn't life and life to the full? Don't you want a life with passion? Jesus in verse 19 says, I, I correct people because I love them. This is the true of all of the Bible. Anytime you hear that God is judgmental and vicious and cruel, if you read a little bit more context, you'll be like, oh, God is saying this because He cares so deeply about these people. God isn't looking at us and saying, you, you need me and you need a life of passion before I'll love you. God's looking at us and saying, don't you want a life of passion? Like, did you, Have you not noticed that you've wandered into a lukewarm existence? Does anyone want to be described as lukewarm Don't you want a life that's hot or cold, that's filled with passion and joy and energy? Do you really want to settle for mediocrity and blandness? Any life that we know, that we love, that we respect, is one that's characterized, I think, by constant growth, by constant pursuit of excellence, by going deeper and deeper and deeper. Good cooks, great cooks, there are Netflix specials all over the place, but if you know really good cooks, you'll see the same thing in their lives. Their best recipes, they keep tinkering. And you'll think, why? This is delicious. I want to see if I can make it a little bit better. I want to try it a little bit differently. I'm learning new techniques. I'm trying new things all the time. I want to get better at this. People you know who are well-read and brilliant, they didn't read a bunch of books and then stop. They keep reading. They keep learning. They keep growing. They keep diving deeper. They want to become wise. This is what we see in people who really want to learn and grow. We see this in generous people. People who don't just stop at tithing, but they, they try to be more and more and more generous. I have a friend in my life who talks about giving as though it's a muscle you work. It's like, I'm just trying to get stronger all the time. I'm trying to give more and more in sneaky and secret ways. I just want to be better at this. I want my life to look like this. We know this in marriages. There are all sorts of people we know, but it, marriages that look good after a year or two years or ten years or twenty years or... 40 years? These are people who keep pursuing each other, who never take one another for granted, who never say, well, I know all there is to know about you, and I've kind of settled into this kind of comfortable space in our lives. No, I, I want to go deeper in our relationship. I want to pursue you in our relationship. I'm not, I'm not done falling in love with you yet. This is what we see in the kinds of lives that we want, the kinds of relationships we want, and kind of the kinds of pursuits and hobbies that we desperately desire for our lives. Why would we think it'd be any different when it comes to following Jesus? I wish you were hot or cold, he says. Hot or cold. My favorite people, deep atheists, incredibly committed Christians. These people make sense to me. I hate everything you stand for. It's nonsense. I love those people. Some of my favorite conversations, because they've really thought things through. My, my favorite conversations with Christians who really are exactly like the marriages I was just describing, or the chefs I was just describing, you know, I, I know a lot about the Bible, and I just keep reading it, and I found something new today. You should see this. And so they became a Christian yesterday. Every time they pray, it's like, oh my gosh, God's been speaking to me lately. It's amazing. Look what's happening in my life. And they'll talk about it, and you'll think, that's kind of small and mundane. I don't know why you're that excited about this. Um, I, I would really want God to do something amazing. You've been following Jesus for a long time, and you're excited about that? Like, I'm waiting for something huge to happen. These people, they, they have a faith like this. My sister-in-law, the other day, she was on vacation in this little rural town. And they went to church because they hadn't been to church in a little bit. And they wanted to show up. And so show up and she's sitting next to this woman in church who's clearly a member of that church. And they're chatting. They're about the same age. They have kids. And as they're talking, she's like, so where are you guys from? Oh, we're not here. we're, We're from Phoenix. Why are you here? Well, it's Sunday. And I don't, you know why are you here? And the more more they were talking, the more convinced my sister-in-law was, this woman is absolutely a Christian, has been going to this church her whole life, is a member of this place, is committed here. But she is mystified by the idea that somebody would go to church on vacation. And my sister-in-law is like, it would be easier if she wasn't a Christian. It was like I didn't make sense to her. And I I kept trying to say, well, it's because, you know, I I love Jesus and I want to be with God's people and... You know, I'm on vacation from work. I didn't like take a break from being a Christian for a week. Like, this, this is really important to me. Isn't this really important? And she's like, I'm trying not to offend her, but I'm trying to find a way to talk about that life gets better than this. Passion gets deeper than this. Faith is richer than this. And that's what Jesus is saying here. I, I correct those that I love. When we were kids, I, I remember this argument my dad was having with my brother, and they were kind of shouting at each other back and forth. And at one point, my brother's like, you don't love me my dad looks at him and says, do you think I would take this kind of crap from somebody I didn't love? I don't care. Like, I love you. That's the only reason that I'm dealing with this. Hot or cold, Jesus says. I want to see something deep and rich and real in your lives. I want to see passion in your life. You want to see passion in your life. So go deeper. Call out to me right now and see if I don't change your life from the inside out. And every time you do, Jesus says, you'll find that you're sitting with me on my throne. That's the punchline of this text. At the beginning of the the letter, he says, this is the, the letter from the one who's the faithful witness, the amen, the ruler of creation. Your translation might have said origin. Ruler is a good option for that Greek word there. Because by the end he's talking about sitting on the throne of God and that we get to sit with him. Which means that every time somebody comes alive in Jesus Christ, every time somebody finds the passion for Jesus, that we we discover this need we have for Jesus, that he meets and then it gets deeper, and then he meets it, and then it gets deeper. That our need for grace just goes on and on and on, and his grace goes on and on and on. Our need for passion goes on and on and on, his grace and passion go on and on and on. He just keeps meeting our needs. Every time that we find that, Jesus meets those needs, it's like the cross wins another victory. It's like our lives become another place where Jesus goes, yep, that's my kingdom. And the places we touch and the places we go, Jesus goes, yep, that's my kingdom. When you come alive in Christ, when passion really starts to rule in your life, when you start to see the need that you've got for Jesus, you'll find that Jesus becomes the authority not just of your life, but of the places that you go. That he wins another victory in you. And so you and I this morning, we find that Jesus is is on the outside of our lives, on the outside of our church, sort of knocking, just sort of waiting for somebody to open the door. And maybe you've been following him for many, many years, and it's been a long time really since you felt that kind of passion in your life. Maybe you've never followed Jesus before, and you're kind of wondering what this all would look like and what it would look like to follow Jesus, what it would look like to have that kind of passion. We genuinely believe that unless Jesus is ruling in your life, unless the cross has a victory in your life, that you will always be kind of empty. You'll always be sort of missing something in your life. But then when you connect to Jesus, you're connecting to the source of life. You're connecting to a a source of passion that is boundless and endless. This is old painting uh, from the 1800s by a guy named Holman Hunt. Um, and this is uh, Jesus um, standing outside a door. And you may have seen this in our history class or something. The, the idea is that uh, it's, there's a new day dawning outside. And Jesus is there, and he's brought light into a dark world. And he's knocking on this door, but vines have grown over the door. And you can't really see it, but the hinges are rusty. It's clear this door hasn't opened for a long time. And there's no handle on the outside can only be open from the inside. And the idea of this painting is that it's a painting of our lives. That This is always the case, that Jesus is always just right outside, always waiting to supply every need that we could possibly have, always waiting to lead us into a brand new life of passion and mystery and adventure, to save us from blandness and mediocrity and all the things that we don't really want for our lives. Jesus is there to save us and to lead us into a brand new kind of existence. The whole point of this painting is that it asks a question: Will they open the door? Will we open the door? Will you open the door? Will you open the door, not to some different version of a religious experience, but to a relationship with Jesus Christ that truly changes you from the inside out? And maybe you feel like you've opened that door before, and I'm just telling you, He's always there, always waiting. Always waiting to save you from a lukewarm existence. Always waiting for those who stay thirsty. There's another part of the Bible where it says, "Look, anybody who, who asks, I'm like a fountain of living water bubbling up inside of you. The thirsty you are, the more you begin to discover the grace of Jesus Christ. The more you ask, the more you receive. The more you knock, the more you seek, the more you find. Jesus is outside the door of your life right now, Knocking. Will you let him in? Will you let him in? Don't you want that kind of passion in your life? Will you let him in? Stay thirsty, my friends. Would you pray with me?